My name is Eric McCoy, and I am high while clean. Our criminal justice system has been a blessing for some, as it's saved my life, but it's been a nightmare for others, as a possession charge prior to them being reduced to misdemeanor was a felony and could send you to prison with that mark on your record for many, many years. As a six-time convicted felon myself and a criminal history that dates back to when I was 16, I made a decision in 2009 to open a program that focused on alternative sentencing to attempt and offer help to those requesting rehabilitation rather than another long stint of incarceration. I had a long uphill battle in making this happen as I knew nobody in that arena and I was requesting assistance by the very department who was chasing me down and arresting me in 1999 2001, and finally on January 3rd, 2002. This was the Orange County Sheriff's Department and their task force who saw me at my worst. With no solid plan on how I would gain the trust by anybody within the Sheriff's Department, the judges, the DAs, or any of the attorneys, I spent days, weeks, and months walking through the halls of every courthouse in Orange County I was giving my business cards to bailiffs, and I was requesting to meet with judges. Surprisingly, numerous judges allowed me the opportunity to attempt and sell my program, my plan, and my integrity. I wanted to create a program that was accessible to many, which meant affordable, but also a program that was successful. And it took a lot of careful planning since I made sure that we had the right staff that were qualified to meet the needs of the people that we had. Throughout this journey of wandering the halls in the court, I began meeting people that put their hands out to assist me in this journey. I believe that through my faith, my dedication, and social connections, our goal became a reality. I was given attorney clearance in the jails went back in chambers to work with the defense attorney and offer an alternative to incarceration as I presented a plan to the district attorney and to the judge. Who would have thought that a six-time convicted felon who's been arrested 10 times would have access to such proceedings? I reached a point where I was able to walk to the cages in the courtroom and speak to the individual before their case was called. In pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success, I correlate some of my story from 2001 to Frank Abagnale as a con man who played many roles that included more advanced versions of his crimes because of technology. I wasn't sought by the FBI, but it was more local with the Sheriff's Department. Even though I didn't pass the bar as he did, I felt like an attorney during those days. My guest today is one of those individuals who played a part in our success, and I met him many years ago when I was walking those long halls of that courthouse. <laughs> Lloyd Freeberg, who has over 40 years experience and one of the most respected lawyers in Orange County, and before becoming a lawyer, and I looked this up, dabbled in professional sports as a hockey player and a golfer, and I want to ask you about that. Also an author, and he wrote a book entitled In the Bin, which was published by the Chicago Trump Publishing Company. 
And I have so much respect for Lloyd, and I'm so honored to have him on here today. This man has taught me so many things. And what is unique about Lloyd is his advocacy for rehabilitation law. And he represents clients to get them out of the system instead of simply getting them off of a case. Thank you, Lloyd, for joining me today. Eric, my pleasure, friend. I want to ask you before I before we get started here, I want to ask you one question. Now, you had said one time that prison is for people we are afraid of, not for people that we are disappointed in. What did you mean by that? Well, part of the problem I have with prison is the name. Here in California, it's called the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Quite honestly, Eric, they do neither. People who go into prison come out better than they went in. They did it on their own, and they did it against all the odds. And I'm going to tell you a story in a little bit about a person who went to prison and how what a struggle it was. And when he came out, he was in a worse position. It took something else to get him squared away. So the prison thing, if you if you can't deal with it because it's a murder case and that sort of thing, even that person, there's an issue to help with. But uh, the disappointment can be high. And I just wish all my clients would do what we're going to talk about here in a little bit, which is the journey letter. And then they avoid prison completely. You played hockey. I did. <laughs> I, I, professional. I in, well, I grew up in Minnesota. And of course, you know, I, I still speak it on occasion, you know, but um, hockey is a big deal. My father played hockey on the national team and then I got signed on. Um, I started when I was very young. I got signed on to the national junior team when I was 16 and they were 18. And that's probably why I have two titanium knee screws on my ankle, rotator <laughs> cuff and broken ribs. And I didn't last that long. But what's interesting about that, and we'll talk about that in a bit, that created in me the whole sports thing with the golf and the hockey that when I became a lawyer, my sole job was to try cases and win, you know, get that jury all convinced. And unfortunately, at that time, I didn't care at all about the people. They were just parts of a puzzle that I had to understand. And then I had a whole change. And it, it led to that comment you used, which is you begin working to get people not just off the case, but out of the system. And it's that extra step is extremely intense. And I know having listened to your presentations and read your book, this is what you've done too. It is different kind of work. It's extremely intense kind of work because it's not just the contest. It's really the person. That's something I had ignored for some time until I had a couple of disasters. And I, I don't mean to dominate the conversation, but I represented Henry and, um, uh, he was a 0.39 DUI. I looked at that as a great challenge because there was a time when criminals were testifying that at 4.0, you're probably dead. And as I walked up the steps of the courthouse, I said to myself, I lose this case, I should be disbarred. Well, I didn't lose the case, uh, but I lost Henry because I picked up the newspaper and uh, six days later, Henry had been found dead on the streets in Brea. And the reason they said was acute out call poisoning. So when I looked at it, I did nothing for him. It was all about me. And it bothered me, Eric, but it didn't make me change at the time. I, I, I was worried about it, concerned about it, but I had a lot of trials left. And so I went on. The second person was someone who could go by the name Bill W. And he was passed out behind the wheel of his car with a 2-4 blood, but he was only 19 years of age. And a police officer drives by, sees him in there, comes back to the car, opens the door. When he does, the guy falls out on the ground. 
I bring a search and seizure motion, win it, and his case is dismissed. And all I can think about is he's going to be back again. Well, seven months later, he came back, and this time he's crying on the phone. And I said, Bill, what is it? He said, Mr. Freeberg, I'm in the Orange County Jail. I have another DUI. And all I could think about was a boat I was looking to buy, and I thought, he's going to buy me that boat. Interesting enough, Eric, I have a picture of that boat. I'm looking at it right across the hallway here. And I have a picture of that boat by my chair. I interview clients and to remind me that my job is not to buy boats and trinkets based on someone's pain and misery. Well, the bottom line is uh, he went on. He said, it's a lot worse, Mr. Freeberg. And I said, how so? He said, they tell me I hit a 13-year-old girl on a bicycle and killed her. And he went to wow. prison. And that made me rethink, is this, is this what I'm supposed to do? Be completely uninvolved in a person's life, completely spend zero time on looking at what their problem is, how to help get out of the system or just try cases. And so I changed my practice of sobriety law, but I have to tell you, Eric, I wasn't very good at because I'd never been down that road. So I'm in chambers one day and a, a judge and DA are just grinding on me. Lloyd, what are you doing to stop this? He's going to kill some. He's going to kill himself. And if he does that, I'll tell you right now, we have a program for him. It's called state prison. Yeah. So I went back to my office and I agonized. And what I came up with, the idea is having people write journey letters. And you and I have talked about this. This is, in a sense, what you do with your work as well. But for me, it was very focused because, and, and I'm just going to run it through what I'd say to a person. You know, Joe, for me to do as good a job as I can to represent you, I need to know all about your entire life from your earliest recollections, ups, downs, successes, failures, strengths, weaknesses. How I learned that is you have to write for me what I call a journey letter. And I'll tell you right now, everybody's life story is intense. That letter has to be 100 pages, single space on both sides. Oh, by the way, has to be written with a number two pencil. And Eric, as you can probably imagine, I know you can. What's in those letters? You, you don't forget easily because once they start writing, things come out that they actually say to me, I'd forgotten these things. I, I would never discuss these things. But once they're on paper, they go to a cognitive behavioral therapist. That therapist works with those issues and they truly do get off the case. In fact, more importantly, what they do, they become drug and alcohol counselors. They're the heroes of my stories, not me. And I'm so proud of them. And um, I've, I've had some... Uh, Great luck with them. Good fortune. I'm so proud. I have them go to school. I help them sometimes. They get their credentials and their degrees. And uh, they're the ones who carry the sword. They're the ones who make who make this system work. Yeah, that's one of the unique things about you, Lloyd, that I always really liked. And that was... You know, so many of the people that are advocates that that fight for these people have gone through it themselves and they ultimately, you know, have to have that pain within them. You know, it's kind of why I called the book pain, failure and misery are the stepping stones to success. Now, you obviously have gone through the pain from an outwardly perspective and looking at these people, but we don't see a lot of advocates, you know, that that haven't been through down that road and that's again one of the unique things that i always found about you you know when i had serenity and when we were doing that program and i was going into the jails and i was assessing people and always questioning how serious these people are you know how much am i enabling these people how much am i being a codependent by helping these individuals get out of custody get into treatment and Luckily, I mean, we did see a lot of successes, 
But at the same time, there were those cases where I felt we did more harm than good because, you know, especially those that had long prison terms that were over their head and they failed the program instead of doing two years, which they would have done. They ended up getting 15 years, especially during that period of uh, realignment that the Orange County or California had actually set up. How much have you felt like that? Well, I've, I've agonized. I'll tell you, that the reason I'm so focused on the journey letter is I suddenly realized until they could open up and find that what I call emotional tumor, which is as deadly as a medical tumor. It takes your career, your relationships, your liberty, your health, and in some cases, even your life. Until they're able to bring that out and speak about it, they're going to spend their time trying to hide it. And it never gets solved. And they go back again. And I've often said to DAs when they're saying to me, how much fun does this guy having? He's driving around drunk. He's, he's, he's using drugs. He's having a real fun time. Huh? Well, let's see how much fun he has in prison. And I say to him, in 100% of my cases, they're not using it for fun and to party. It may look that way. They're using it about very inappropriate medication to keep that tumor down. But the interesting thing is once it comes out, I don't need a big education because it's right there. And it's, it's so powerful. It's so personal. It's so emotional. And frankly, when those journey letters are read by judges and DAs, they get into it too, even if they've never been down that road. And it's changed a lot of the opinions of prosecutors and judges I work with of thinking, hey, he's having a good time. Well, they're not having a good time. But we all realize until they deal with it, they are a risk and a danger out there. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I wrote that book also was I wanted to show people that, you know, when you do become dependent upon drugs, drugs were fun when you chose to do them. But when you had to do them, that's when they're no longer fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had that experience, you know, in 2001, 2002, when I kept getting arrested, arrested four times in six months and ultimately facing 15 years in prison. And I had hired an, an attorney. I had Dyke Hewish, who was my attorney at the time. And he fought hard for me. Um, but I also, he, he kept trying to put me in jail. He kept trying to talk me into <laughs> going into custody because every time I posted bail, every time I got out, I just caught a new case. And right. he tried everything <laughs> to convince me. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I got this. I got it handled. I can control it. It's no big deal. And, you know, I know he's looking at me from an outward perspective, like you're crazy. There's no way. You know, I was given, luckily, an opportunity, um, you know, and wasn't given those 15 years and was given an opportunity to, to do custody time. I had to do a treatment program following custody. The custody was good. All the time that I was able to sit there, sit still, learn to, mm-hmm. to, you know, be comfortable and be okay with just being by myself or being present and being able to study myself. And my book, for me, and just like you talk about the journey letter, when you sit down and you start writing out your life and your story, the amount of information that you learn from that is tremendous. I learned so much about myself. I, I almost feel sometimes that the book was more beneficial for me than anybody else. Interesting. Because, yeah. <laughs> because of the knowledge that I gained when I really started analyzing myself. 
Well, the interesting thing is I'm seeing a guy in jail right now. And when I said to him, you, you've got you've been to prison before. You got three cases pending. Can, can I just ask you a simple question? Why? And when I ask that to people, I get a shrug of the shoulders or I get I, I guess it's just I've been feeling bad or I guess I like drugs or something. And you have to really push. That's the beauty of the journey letter, because once they realize what's down there that's simmering and causing this, they have tremendous success at winning. I will tell you, this guy is starting to get there. I think to present his journey letter to court, I'm going to have to wring it out because he's put so many tears in it. He just cries constantly. And yet before, when we first started talking, he was like a confident guy. Hey, we can beat this case, et cetera. So the journey letter, I have to push a lot. And I know you've had those experiences when you were visiting inmates and that sort of thing and realizing what's really going on in there. Those journey letters are, to me, the greatest opening of the door to get sobriety and to help other people do the same thing. What would you say is the success rate that you typically see? Well, I'll tell you, I have a hard time thinking of failures with my clients. I know that's pretty crazy sounding. I will tell you, I had one young guy. He gave me five pages. And um, when I read it, it was he was just out of high school going into college. And it was all about, hey, you ought to see me in school. The teachers love me. You know, I'm a smart guy and and I'm an athlete. So the girls are always fighting for me. I actually handed this letter back and I said, Brandon, I I really think you made a mistake here. I think you gave me your application for the dating game because it doesn't do a thing for me. All the other people write this with sincerity. There are times I have to say to them, this isn't enough. I need more. I'll be doing that today with the client. And eventually when they do it, the success of them understanding why they're in custody, the fact that they've worded this in their in their own heartfelt speech goes to a judge and a DA, the probability of people taking a different look at that person in terms of just purely sentencing becomes extremely high. So we, we've had phenomenal luck. I'm sitting here, as you ask that question, struggling with uh, who have I had that's gone through this process turned out to be a flop. And I, I can't think of anyone at this point. I remember when I started with Serenity Life Counseling, or before I started with Serenity Life Counseling, I had an ugly view of the criminal justice system. You know, and to me, it right. was just, it was a nightmare. It was horrible. And throughout that time in working with Serenity, my view of the criminal justice system changed dramatically. And part of that, I think, had to do with those relationships that I was able to develop. You know, I became, I almost consider him a friend of mine today, Judge Bromberg, you know, Judge Mm -hmm. Adams, that I had Mm -hmm. um, great opportunities to get to know, you know, go out to lunch with, to spend some time with, and, and started realizing that judges are real people too. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You know, when you're when you're on that other side, you just see them as this, you know, I'm sitting above you and I'm better than you kind of scenario. And True. and it really had a great, you know, uh, mark on me. Another thing that I really loved and I know attorneys, I know district attorneys, judges, all they see is the negative. All they see are the failures. <laughs> And, and when I started doing that and we were getting people into our program and we were, you know, people were completing the program, kept really uh, careful statistics on how we were doing. 
and you know looking at our successes versus our failures what was working what wasn't working and we were having these alumni meetings and i remember after the first year we had about 70 percent of the people that came through our program that returned for this alumni meeting and i was i was stoked on that i was really mm-hmm. happy about that and it dawned on me that again all these judges and the district attorneys and everybody all they see is the negative and so judge bromberg and judge adams both they allowed me the opportunity to bring clients in that had completed the program that were not there to you know be seen for another case but to have an opportunity to come up to stand up there and to talk about how they were doing at that point in time and that was fantastic. Well, I think actually, Eric, that's probably had a big impact because both of those judges you mentioned have in many instances gone out on a limb, so to speak, and gambled on someone and has pulled it off. When you have a judge who's saying to your client, look, I have confidence you're going to win with this. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Show me what you got. In many cases, these people will come through. Um, Adams has been fabulous, too. He's been on calendars where he's had a huge uh, criteria uh, that he's told people what he's expecting out of their behavior while they're in court. And he supports them. He's a very personable guy. But, but those are the those are hits. There are a lot of judges very burned out with it, very upset about it. Yeah, Judge Bromberg was a huge factor in also in how we did and how well we did with our program um, because I, again, saw something very different within him. I saw somebody that was interested and actually wanted to, and just like you, wanted to understand the workings of the mind of somebody that's struggling with, with drugs and not just bringing people in and, you know, locking them up and throwing away the key kind of scenario that, yeah, he did want to give people opportunities. He did want to see, he wanted to see people succeed and get out of the system. You know, this is probably, Eric, why you do the work you do, because when you see the success of it, it keeps telling you there's so many people that need this instance. The journey letter to me is important because with the success we've had at having people discover this this uh, emotional tumor and successfully deal with it, and then choose to have a career helping others do the same thing, it's it's pretty intense. It's it it pays off. It makes you feel you're doing something of value in the system. I look back on some of the trials. I did a federal case where. Uh, I kept saying to the U.S. attorney, I don't think your witnesses are doing well. And when the verdict came in on a 30-day trial, came in in 15 minutes, and the judge asked for the uh, clerk to read the verdict, we stood up. He glanced at me and winked at me and then got to hear 13 counts of not guilty. When I look back at that, it's an interesting story. I didn't do anything for anybody in that, but maybe my, my bank a little bit. And with this work that I do, and I know that's driving you, you feel you're making a difference in people's lives. And it's not, I'm not the hero of these stories. They are. Going back to that guy that, that had really changed your view of things. And I was, I had read that on your website and I liked that story about the boat thing that you, <laughs> that he was yeah, going yeah. to buy you another boat, but all of a sudden things changed in your mind because of the situation that had happened. And, and, you know, I, a lot of times the way that I view things and look at things is that I think a lot of times, you know, there's a purpose behind the things that ultimately happen. And 
with that individual. What happened with that guy? Well, the interesting thing is um, he ended up going to prison. I lost contact with him and um, he was a sad individual. I sent messages to the California Department of Corrections where he was housed, never got an answer. And I wish I had a better answer. I do have some that I represented in the old days who have come back and think they're going to get the same thing as, hey, we're going to go and put on a show and we're going to walk you on this. And instead, they get the journey letter approach. And it's been successful even with them. State prison, for some of my clients, has had them come out and say, this, this didn't work for me. I need to stop this. And I've got a picture I'm sitting here staring at of a kid who went in when he was 18 years of age on two robbery counts. He got involved in selling drugs. He wasn't sort of fitting in. He was dealing with a sort of a small cartel and he sold drugs to these two people. They came back, beat him up, took all of his money. And uh, when he went to tell the people that the drugs and the money are all gone, they said, you tell us where these people are because we're gonna solve this. So he took them over to the people's house. These people were beat up. The only one they could recognize was him. He got a lawyer. He ended up uh, buying two robberies and he got sent to prison at 19, at 18 years of age. And when he came out, he tried doing it again, driving around his car loaded with drugs. He picked up five cases, all crime, bail, crime, which as you know, is two years enhancement for each time that happens passed out behind the wheel of his car, left turn pockets, turn signals in parking lots, because he said, I couldn't bring myself to do this because I realized all the damage you did to me. Well, it turns out he went through detox, then he went into a program, he did the journey letter, he's worked extremely hard. And I, I wish I could duplicate this scene because I went to court at his sentencing and the judge interrupted me and said, I'm gonna tell you something, Lloyd, I know what you do, but this guy's a menace. He's, you've got five cases with him, and he started when he was 18 years of age. And I said, Your Honor, if I can just interrupt, when you go to the Department of Corrections at 18 years of age and you're a slightly built kid, you either claim up or you're a victim for the whole time you're there. So the Department of Corrections did nothing but put him on a bad path. Well, the bottom line, he said, he's looking at 40 years. I'll just be candid with you. So I put easels up. I had pictures before and after. They're stunning. They're absolutely stunning. You've probably seen them on the internet. The DA said to me, what are you doing with the easels, Lloyd? And I just said, oh, Camille, I'm, I'm just going to do some stuff. And I just sort of put her off. And when we started, I said, as you may be aware, Your Honor, Johnny's journey with drugs began when he was 13 years of age. As you can probably guess, it wasn't to party hardy and meet babes. It was to deal with an internal issue he had of pain. It was inappropriate, but it was all he had. And this got worse. And I went through his whole life story about how he ended up. And then I picked up the picture of his arrest. And it's, you know, the typical speed bumps from methamphetamine use that he picked at, all emaciated. I put that on and the audience shrieked almost because of how, how brutal it was. But then I went on and said, but judge, I have to say this. I can't do what he can do. I don't believe you can. And the prosecutor only wants to send him back to prison. But this is the future of this business because he went from that guy to this and I pulled up his current picture. It's, it's stunning. It's if you look at your before and after my before, it's, it's stunning to see that the judge ends up putting him back in a program. He's now working on a, on a, a degree in psychology and wants to become a drug and alcohol counselor. That's great. So they're interesting stories 
and they drive you in. And of course, it's the same with you. When you see some successes from it, you have a need to keep going because there are an awful lot of clients out there, awful lot of people hurt. Now, you heard of Spencer Pridgen, right? Or what happened to him? You remember Spencer? Uh, yeah, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So Spencer had relapsed. Got a law degree, did he? Is that who I'm thinking of? No, no, no. He was my, uh, he was kind of my uh, secondhand man at Serenity. Big okay. Guy, big guy, gotcha. bald. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah, I do. So he's in prison. Yeah. And he had gotten a back-to-back sales case. Um, he had relapsed. He got 10 years, eight months. Um, and he's up in uh, Corcoran right now. And it really bums me out. You know, he, you know, here's a guy that in, you know, while clean and sober is just a rock. I mean, this guy, you know, will take the shirt off his back. He will do anything that he can to help you. And, you know, obviously it relapsed and, and, uh, kind of went down that path. And because he had a prior strike back in 1998 or something like that, um, they had, obviously sent him upstate and, and he had gotten a lengthy prison term and I've been fighting. I've been actually sending letters to the parole board because he's actually been up for parole twice and they've denied him both times. Wow. And especially now with this COVID thing going on mm-hmm. um, and he's got health issues and it saddens me because they, they're, you know, he had, he had originally gotten into the drug and alcohol program in Corcoran. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that. He was taking college classes. Everything was going great. And then, of course, COVID happened and everything was shut down. Yep. yep. And his last parole he- hearing, they responded with, well, he needs to do more. But he can't do anything. Yeah. And all he's doing is just sitting in there. And I had sent a letter that, you know, basically stating that there's so much more that he could be doing for himself if he was out of prison and helping himself, but they refuse that still. <laughs> you know, Eric, it underscores my thought. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation uses that name, but they provide very little services to help people do that. If someone comes out better, they did it on their own. But I'll also add one other thing. As I listen to you talk, all I can think about, I give anything to have him write a journey letter. I'd give anything to have him write it because I'm predicting somewhere deep, someone abandoned him. That's the critical issue that happens to my client. Abandonment by someone important in their lives when they're little kids. And that pain is still there. And until he looks at it and faces it and understands it, he's gonna keep having these issues. We've talked a lot. He is doing a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I sent him actually a copy of my book too. And so he had read my book. I think he's read it three times now. (laughs) He's got got nothing else to do up there, you know? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, I, I I really want to help him a lot once he gets out and, you know, see what I can do to, to assist him and getting back on his feet. He's lost his whole family His his kids and his wife have moved to Florida. And so everything's pretty much falling apart for him. I got a suggestion, friend. Why don't, why don't we send him a letter saying, write us a journey letter? Let's do it. I, I'd give anything to see it, Eric. I'd give anything to see it because I'll bet you anything the answers there. Typically, for a male, it's a father who either abuses them, 
abandons him, gets remarried, moves away, has little to do with him. And their life is spent saying, how come everybody has a dad and I don't? I must be a bad person. I will also tell you there's a second kind of person that I've seen that I've dealt with. And when that abandonment happens, they become extremely angry and violent. And, and the F word is constantly used in connection with talking about their family, et cetera. But they, too, pull it off once they figure it out. So what do you specifically include in the journey letter? Well, I have them start and I tell them 100 pages, single space, both sides. If you give me 20 or 30 pages, we're not there. You're going to keep writing till it comes out. The pencil is great because it is biofeedback and it shows them and me the areas where there's tension. That letter then goes to a cognitive behavioral therapist. And as I think I've mentioned to you, they actually say to me, Lloyd, when you give us the letter, we're, we're a year up on therapy because the hardest part for any of a person going into therapy is to drag down and pull out that issue that's driving it. It's in the letter in almost every case. And what surprises me, Eric, they won't talk about it, but when they're forced to write all those words, it comes out sooner or later. And, and then they're stunned about it. And then for once it's out on the table, the progress at dealing with it has been phenomenal. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about the guy you just described in prison. I'd give anything for a journey letter. I think we ought to have him write one and I'll pay for the therapist to take a look at it. And I'd be willing to bet what's in it. We, we communicate on those new uh, new technology they have where you can actually just email them on your phone. How oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. For yeah, they have, you know, he has a tablet up there. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to actually communicate. I mean, of course, it gets read by, you know, them up there. Sure. Passed on. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's a very quick way to communicate. I love it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> Well, when I pick up the journey letters, I tell the police, you can take a look at it if you want. There's no harm. There's nothing in there that's bad. And uh, they will just sort of shuffle through it. No big deal. But um, then when it goes to the therapist, it's it's just, well, it's like having come in when you've already started the therapy process, already listed the things that the therapist has to work on. And it becomes very intense, but very short-term work. So what is the book about that you wrote? Uh, in the bin? Yeah. I got a job with the NHL after my career was over, thanks to an awful lot of surgery. Um, and I got a job with the NHL as an off-ice official. I've been doing that now for 28 years, but I was assigned for the first three years to the penalty box. And it's a litany of the stories of what people do and say when they come in the penalty box. It's, it's more exciting than the journey letters, I'll tell you that. But um, it was a big seller. After it sold 100,000 copies, they, they had to come out and expanded paperback. So I added some stories to it, but they sent me all over the place doing book signings. It became, it became just a really fun experience. And uh, sitting in that penalty box, there were a lot of times you wish you had uh, three or four guards standing around you. <laughs> but it was, it was a great story. It's a whole litany of stories, stories about the referees, stories about bad boys story about uh, super scores story in there about Gretzky. And uh, if you're into hockey, it's, it's a fun thing. People from back in Minnesota and, and back in East and they, I had a, a trips to Europe with it. They, they, the hockey to them is, is the greatest story on earth to hear. So that's what was fun about that book. You still play a lot of golf. I haven't played, you know, I got back into hockey and I haven't uh, played in probably 10 years. 
Oh, wow. That was one of my absolute favorite. My dad played that game too, and we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, somewhere along the line, I invented a golf putter that's uh, sold in Japan. So I'm still sort of tied to it. Uh, I'm living right near near uh, right now near a golf course. When I drive by, I see the driving range. And I have to tell you something, Eric. I keep thinking I better find some golf clubs and go down there and whack a few. But I know it'll happen. You know, the intensity will come back, and pretty soon it's hockey and golf, which will be awkward. So I always like to uh, ask the question about: Is there anything that you would like our listeners to hear that could be of benefit for them? Well, I can. I can tell if you have listeners who have someone in trouble or they're in trouble, they probably worried about it and down deep they agonize. A lot of it seems to be fear of the consequences, but I would hope they would consider that sitting down and writing their life story. For most of us, when our issues occur, we're little kids and that's what complicates it. We, instead of dealing with it, we, we try to hide it. We try to bury it. And it just doesn't stay buried. That's the bottom line. And if they know someone uh, or they themselves are struggling, please write that journey letter and let it let it go to a therapist. I have people I recommend because they are unique to that. They deal only with that. But writing that letter is the greatest way to open that door to a completely different life, life without emotional pain, without legal problems and creating the ability to, to create to create relationships with other people that are fabulous. And uh, we all struggle with these things. Our relationships are the most complicated to form and maintain. Um, and there's probably therapists that say, hey, write it even if you don't have a criminal case pending or anything, try to write your story. But I've become so engrossed in these stories and reading them and seeing the results of success that uh, my advice to anybody listening, if you're struggling with anything, but certainly if you've got a legal issue and it's drugs and alcohol, uh, the place to start dealing with it is that journey letter and then a therapist. Well, Lloyd, I want to thank you so much for doing this and, and coming on here. Again, I, I think, I also think that so much more than somebody's specific case is their actual life. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can sit and we can fight for, you know, somebody's case for, for custody time to, to, you know, get them in, into, you know, um, you know, help them get the least amount of sentence possible, but none of that's going to matter if they don't survive. And that's, why, enough. that's why I think that, you know, you're such a great um, example and a, and a very fantastic attorney because of what you do. Eric, you, you're, you're following in those footsteps. You and I actually are doing the same kind of work. And it's exciting to see we are making headway. There was a time when I would go and talk about a journey letter and I'd get someone snoring on the other side listening. But we're making headway. And I, I should tell you, I've been doing this in December. I've been doing this 47 years. When I first started, sentencing was whining. Your Honor, that's his mom out there. If he goes to prison, look, look, she has tears and you'd sort of make a gesture and she'd start crying. Now we have drug court, DOI court, homeless court, veterans court, mental health court. We've come a long distance at looking at what are the causative factors? What can we do to help people? And so I'm, I'm extremely pleased to be in this kind of work. And you're an example of the greatest success because when a person has been down a road and found that off ramp, they become the teachers of the future. So all I am in this story is 
very happy about the fact that my clients have done this. And I feel I've helped create a group of people who do what you do. And you're better at it than I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do my work without the help of my clients. So thank you for having me on. It's always great to see. And thanks for the work that you do, Eric. I want to thank everybody listening to another episode of High Wall Clean. And I look forward to the next. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.